Well, good morning, everyone. Um, you're very welcome with us here this morning at Long Crendon. Um, as we begin our service, let me just pray for us all as we gather together. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather here this morning um, in your name. Lord, that we can come under the sound of your word, that we can meet together as your people. Lord, that we can celebrate um, what you've given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we can sing your praises. We can pray to a God who cares and listens. Lord, there's so much blessing that, um, that we receive by coming together here this morning. So Lord, I pray that you be with us. We thank you that you are. You promised to be. So Lord, we pray that um, we'd feel your presence with us this morning in all that we do. Lord, please bless us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, do um, grab a Bible if you've got one in front of you. Um, there's two, re- two readings this morning. The first one um, from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. Um, that can be found on page 1176 in the Blue Bibles. Um, and secondly, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, um, which is on page 1219 of the Blue Bibles. So Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Then 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won, won over without words by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, 
In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with, with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, thanks very much, Lisa, and uh, very good to see you all this morning. We're into um, the third in this um, short series on God's design for, for men and women. And I know there'll be some here this morning who haven't uh, been at uh, uh, maybe either of them or both of them. Um, so if you could just do a recap for the benefit of all of us uh, where we've got to so far in this series. Um, we saw back in um, Genesis 1 and 2 how we are created by God in his image. We saw how we're created as male and female and what it means to be male and female. The fact that although we are equal, we're also different. We saw how man was created first and given uh, primary moral responsibility. And we read the description of the woman being uh, created as a suitable helper to the man, by which we meant ideal partner. In other words, men and women are created with different strengths and characteristics that complement one another in a perfect partnership. Their dignity and worth being found not in the roles they play, but in their status before God. We then saw how in the fall that uh, men and women failed to live up to these responsibilities. They rejected God's design and his plan. And the result was broken relationships, broken relationships between people and God and between men and women in in which each pursued their own agenda. However, we finished on the other positive note that Christ offers reconciliation in our relationships and in the restoration of God's design. So this morning we're going to look at what it means for the role of men and women in marriage. And then next week we're going to look at what does that mean for the roles of men and women in the church. So that's where we're going. So this morning we're going to look at uh, Ephesians 5, which um, was read for us by, by Lisa. And I guess the biggest difficulty when we read this passage, as well as the other passages in uh, 1 Peter and Colossians and Titus, all that have to do with the same subject, is what is meant by that word submission or being subject to. Because part of the trouble is that in our culture, submission has quite negative overtones, doesn't it? it implies the use of force or doing something against one's will. The use of submission in the Bible is a positive thing. If we look at the context of this passage in Ephesians 5, it starts back in chapter 4 with instructions for living out the Christian life. And then as we move to to this passage here in Ephesians 5, 21, Paul talks about submitting to one another and doing that in our different relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves, or in today's context, you'd say, between bosses and employees. And in each case, there's one party who's been given a position of leadership or authority and one who's called to submit to that authority. And the relationship we're going to be looking at this morning is between husband and wife. Now, the reason we're given that the wife should submit to her husband is the husband, we're told, is the head of the wife. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. But then the link is made with the fact that as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, 
So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, this concept of headship doesn't just appear here in this passage. If we turn to 1 Corinthians 11, we see it again there. It says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So here, also, we have the head of Christ is God, God the Father, in that sense. So this is a design um, that God has created. It's not to do with the fall. It's there from the beginning. So before we look at um, the role of men and women in marriage and what submission and the headship mean, I think it's important just to start with what is the meaning of marriage itself? Because if we were to go down the street and ask various people, what is marriage all about? What's the purpose of marriage? What is the meaning of marriage? I'm sure you get very different uh, replies. Some would be along the lines of um, it's about companionship, it's about intimacy, it's about commitment, um, emotional security, a loving environment in which children can be, can be raised. Lots of different reasons. And all of those are true. But why is it we're told that Jesus himself says in heaven there will be no marriage? Well, the reason is because in heaven we'll be in a far greater relationship um, than between husband and wife, one in which gives us perfect uh, fulfillment. As God's people, we will be married to Jesus, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And that is another reason why we shouldn't look down on singleness, as we said last week, because in heaven, those who are single or married um, will all be sitting down together at that marriage supper with Christ. So what is marriage for? Well, have a look at verse 31. It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Now that's a quotation from uh, uh, Genesis 2 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. But Paul now calls this a profound mystery. A mystery in the sense that God didn't fully reveal to man and woman his purpose for marriage. But now that Christ has come, he can reveal it. And so he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And that is why Christ is mentioned so many times in this, in this passage, because marriage is a representation of the relationship that Christ has with his church, with his people. Have a just a look down at the passage in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Or in verse 29, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Now in the relationship between Christ and the church, there are different roles being played, aren't there? And as we live out our different roles in, uh, in marriage, what we're doing is illustrating the different roles between Christ and his people. The responsibility and attitude that the husband is meant to have for his wife, his loving headship, symbolizes Christ's love for the church. The willing submission of the, of the wife towards her husband is a symbol of the church's willing submission to Christ. And so I think we need to have that clear in our minds before we go on to look at the different roles between husbands and wives in marriage. Because if we were simply to say, well, husbands and wives just play the same roles, then it wouldn't be possible for marriage to represent the relationship that Christ has with the church and church has with Christ. So what are these roles then? What is the meaning of submission? What is the meaning of headship? Um, Let's get down to 
the detail. Let's turn first of all to 1 Peter 3, if you've got your Bibles there handy. Um, because this passage also begins with the command for wives to submit to their husbands, but then it elaborates on how they should, to, should do that. Now, as we read um, 1 Peter 3, it's difficult, I think, to avoid the fact that um, submission has um, some form of obedience. If we look down at verse 5, it says, For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. But it goes much deeper than blind obedience to someone in authority over you. It's the way you respond to the person who's been put in a position of responsibility towards you. And that should, in the case of marriage, be a willing, a respectful affirming by the wife of the husband. The sort of submission we've been talking about here is not just a do what he tells you without questioning sort of thing. Uh, which many people think. We're talking about two people here with different state, not with different status, they have equal status, but different roles. Just to give you another example of this, Jesus as a child was submissive to his human parents. If you turn to Luke 2, the story of Jesus in the temple, it says that when his parents found him, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And that word translated obedient there is the same word here as translated submit. This is Jesus, the son of God, submitting to human parents. Not because that they were superior to him. How could they be? After all, he was God. But because that was the responsibility that they'd be given to them in that context. Also, back in 1 Peter, if you look over to chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. We are called to submit to governing authorities, even when they're secular, because that is the pattern that God has set for mankind. Um, that's the way we coexist peacefully in this world. Now, you may say, well, what about if the husband's not living up to his role as a husband? For example, in verse uh, 1 here, it talks about um, if the husband, husband doesn't believe the word, if in other words, if the husband is not a Christian, how do you, as a Christian wife, submit to his headship? Well, the following points might help us in this. It says, a woman's beauty, in verse 4, should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, unfading means that unlike our external beauty, which will disappear with age, um, inner beauty will not just last a lifetime, it will last an eternity, it will not fade. And the word used frequently describes those things here that will not disappear when this world comes to an end. It won't fade. It's part of one's character, it's what's on the inside. Um, he's not saying here that women should not spend time on their, their external beauty, on their hair and their clothes. But more time should be spent on cultivating a godly character. And such a character, it says here, is marked in verse 2 by purity and reverence. A way of living that is Christ-like in its morality, in its concern for others. It's not corrupted by the cares and concerns of the world. 
This is the type of beauty that Peter is saying here, here will win over an unbelieving husband to the Lord. Not one that tries to convert him by making him feel guilty or arguing with him, persuading him, but through purity and reverence. And this is the type of beauty, it says, is of great worth in God's sight. And key to that beauty is that it is gentle and is a quiet spirit. The word for gentle used here is the same one used to describe Jesus. When he rode into Jerusalem, it was to fulfill the prophecy that said, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So if Christ in all his majesty as a king can be described as gentle, then we're not talking here weak or pathetic. We're emphasizing the very strong quality of humility. It's the attitude of someone who doesn't keep pushing themselves forward at the expense of others, who doesn't demand their own rights, who's satisfied with whatever little or however much they may have. It's the attitude of someone who doesn't moan and groan when they don't get their own way. And the reason the wife here is described as gentle and quiet is because she's put her hope in God and she knows how much God loves her. But first of all, a Christian wife is first and foremost submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our allegiance to Christ takes priority over all human allegiance. So the wife won't do anything to offend or dishonour God, even if her husband tells her to. In the same way that we're only expected to obey the civil authorities if they don't force us to act contrary to our faith. The wife is not meant here to be a doormat. That gentle spirit is also a strong spirit. She's not meant to give up her independent thought, her moral conscience. Wives will listen to the word of God themselves. By God's grace, they will try and understand it and apply it to their lives. In the same way that husbands will. And it may be that some wives will choose Christ when their husbands won't. And wives can't let their husbands hold them back in that respect. And likewise, wives are meant to influence um, their husbands, have input into decisions. If they think their husbands are suggesting something which is uh, not particularly wise, they should point that out to them. And so it says in verse 6, You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. The wife is keen to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord to please the Lord, she doesn't need to give way to fear. One way that um, some wives may give way to fear is worrying about what others outside of the church um, might think about them. And one, one big issue for some uh, Christian women who are wives and mothers is whether to pursue a career as well as look after the family and the home and serve in the church. And now sometimes what drives that decision is, uh, what will be my status like in worldly terms? If I'm not being paid to do my work, will people look at me differently? But if you've chosen to be a full-time mother, you don't need to be afraid of what others think. We're blessed by many women in this church who give so much of their time to serve the Lord in a voluntary way, often without people even knowing about it. And if that is your wife, then husbands support and encourage them in that. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that mothers shouldn't go out to work or that it's wrong to try and balance a, a career whilst looking after the home. 
But I would say don't feel you have to have a paid role to feel value. Don't fear what others think about you. And I also say don't let your career affect the well-being of your family. And if it does start to do that, then maybe you should need to have a look at your priorities. Well, we think this is tough uh, so far. Uh, Let's come on to men and uh, the role of men in marriage, because I think we'll find this is, in some ways, uh, even tougher. Let's go back to Ephesians 5 to see, because this has more to do with uh, the role of men. And here we see that essential to the way that the husband should behave towards his wife is showing love. Seven times in these few verses the word love is mentioned. But what type of love is used here? Well, look at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The comparison is with the type of love that Christ showed towards the church. And that type of love involves sacrifice, giving himself up, giving up his comfort, his status, his majesty for the sake of human beings. That is the sort of love that means giving up what you want to do sometimes to allow your wife to do something that she wants to do. It means not just doing what you think is right, but talking, discussing with your wife, listening to her views before any decision is reached. Why did Christ give himself up for the church? Well, look what it says. It says to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, this is quite an amazing comparison, isn't it? Because the goal of Christ for the church is to make her holy. Now, he does this by um, making it possible for her to be forgiven, to be considered righteous in the sight of God. And he does that through the sacrifice on the cross. But the comparison here is being made with the way husbands should love their wives. It's an amazing privilege for us to be loved by Christ as much as that. But actually, for a, for a wife to be loved by her husband in that way, in some ways, is even more incredible, isn't it? Now, this is far from a domineering use of authority. It's by no means taking advantage of a a wife. It's ensuring her spiritual growth, ensuring what is best for her, this humble servanthood. Christ wants his church to grow in holiness, to become radiant, as we were hearing earlier from, from Nathan, to radiate his love. So if husbands are to make their wives holy, then they need to be looking after their own spiritual health first. They cannot encourage their wives in spiritual maturity if they themselves are not growing in their faith. Now that doesn't mean that the husband will always be more spiritually mature than the wife. It's not like a teacher-pupil relationship. Wives will often have a greater love for the Lord than their husbands, but it's still the husband's responsibility to encourage that growth. Thirdly, headship also means loving for the husband to love his wife as himself. And the point that Paul makes here is that it is natural to want to look after yourself, your own physical, your own spiritual needs. To feed, it says here, and care for your body. You know when you're hungry, your stomach tells you when you are hungry. You know when you're thirsty, your throat tells you 
when you're thirsty. You know when your body could do with a bit more exercise, even if you don't respond to that. You know when your spiritual life is not as healthy as it should be. And hopefully you will do something about that. But what is being said here to husbands is learn to know your wives so well that you know when they need all of those things as well. And do something about it. If they're not looking after their physical health, then help them. If they're not looking after their mental health, then help them. If they're not looking after their spiritual health, then help them. Because in a way, they're part of your own body. They were taken from you in creation. They've been reunited to you. And if as men and women we can grasp this, then all the arguments about why should I submit to my husband become irrelevant, don't they? Why would you not want to submit to someone who's so concerned for every aspect of your life? Where it becomes difficult is where the husband is not showing that love for his wife. And that is where we need to seek the, the Lord's help. That is where we need to help each other. That is why courses like the marriage course are so important. They give us tools to better understand, to better communicate with our spouses, to be better, better able to resolve conflict. Back in 1 Peter 3, it says, Be considerate as you live with your wives. And the literal translation is live together according to knowledge. Understand your wife's desires, goals, ambitions, as well as her frustrations. Understand her strengths and weaknesses, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Pray together. That will bring you together. But whilst the marriage course may give us certain tools to help us enrich our marriages, what it won't do is give us the motivation And that can only come from God. But ultimately, it's as we grow in our faith that we want to know how better we can love our our wives. If we are in any doubt as to what submission and headship or sacrificial love should look like, we need to look to Christ. Christ is an example of sacrificial love. He was prepared to give up his life for those he loved. As an example of submission, he was humble, he was gentle, he was prepared to submit to his father. If you are married here this morning, enjoy your marriage by the grace of God. Live up, ask for his help, his grace, his spirit to live up to the responsibilities that he has given you. But whether you're married or not, let us all enjoy being the bride of Christ. Because marriage is a representation of the relationship that we as a church, as a people of God, have with him. And look forward to that day when we sit down at the wedding banquet of the Lord. We're going to have a taste of that in a minute as we uh, take the Lord's Supper together. But before we do so, just have a moment of quiet to reflect on what's being said. And let's pray to God about how that affects us individually. It's a moment of quiet before we come to the Lord's table. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word,
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The reason that Jesus told us to take this supper was to remember the sacrifice that he made for us, the fact that he gave himself up for us, And the reason he did that was to make us holy. We're considered by God as having our sins washed clean, having been forgiven for all that we have done, all that we continue to do that is displeasing to God. And we cannot be full of admiration for all that um, Jesus has done without first acknowledging just how sinful we are, And just how great his sacrifice, therefore, was on the cross. So we're going to say together, corporately, a prayer of confession. uh, To express our trust in God's mercy. Rather than anything that gives us a right to come before him. So let's uh, pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against your children, our brothers and sisters, in thought and word and deed. In evil we have done, and in the good we have not done. Through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, we have wounded your love and marred your image in us. We are sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that has passed and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Amen. I let's close now by saying the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Amen.